This is the Collaboration Dynamics Podcast, helping you work together better with Judy Reese, X-ray listener, best-selling author, international virtual collaboration trainer, and master of metaphor. Hear more at xraylistening.com. Welcome to Collaboration Dynamics. With me today is Greg Orme, the author of The Spark, How to Ignite and Lead Business Creativity, uh, published by FD Publishing. And uh, Greg is an old friend of mine, someone I used to work with many years ago. And Greg, why don't you introduce yourself and say something about what you are doing nowadays? Uh, thanks, Judy. Y- yes, uh, well, I'm um, I'm a specialist in leadership development and organisational change, um, and so I work with lots of different organisations, and also through through London Business School as a, as a program director. Um, and I've got a specialism within that that I uh, particularly work with a lot of businesses that seek to be innovative and creative. And along, uh, along with that, I've just uh, written a book called The Spark, How to Ignite and Lead Business Creativity by FT Publishing. Excellent. Thank you. And, well, I start all these interviews with a similar question. When you are collaborating at your best, you are like what? It's a really interesting question. Um, I think uh, it's interesting. I write in the book about uh, a, a very, very unique organisation uh, who, the CERN, who run the Large Hadron Collider. Mm-hmm. The first thing that comes to mind is I'm like, uh, maybe sounds a bit grandiose, but it's not meant to be <laughs> like the Large Hadron Collider mm-hmm. because. You know that that they send electrons round that huge circuit and they collide with other electrons, but the and the explosion is sort of captured within that. So when you're with someone, I think what you're seeking to do is for those that person to be firing their their thoughts and ideas at you, and and you to be sort of responding with your thoughts and ideas. And and when true collaboration that results in creativity happens, is I think some kind of serendipitous collision of two thoughts two ideas and they come together and they create something new and exciting and that's i think you know obviously a lot of individual creativity comes from just lone people thinking on their own but when two people or more than two people come together and collaborate i think that's the that's the metaphor of the image that comes to mind for mm. me that's very interesting because you you in in that metaphor you've got the 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 ideas uh, being fired off and the sense of the the explosion being captured. Is there anything else about how it's captured when you are collaborating at your best? Well, it's interesting, the question, because you're talking about me collaborating. I think that the, I always think, obviously, collaboration implies someone else. So I think it, it depends on both of our attitudes. We've got to bring an attitude in which um, we support each other in taking a few risks in the conversation, uh, and then, uh, and then support any little sparks that come out of it and see where that allows us to go. Um, and that requires two people not to sort of squash each other's ideas, but to support them 
uh, to, to allow kind of the capture of two people's ideas together to, to continue without being squashed. Mm. And so when you're like the, the Large Hadron Collider, is that you or you and the person or people you're collaborating with being like the Large Hadron Collider? Yeah, I think it's a metaphor that encapsulates being with someone else, not just me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm in there, but I'm, I've also included in that image the other people that I'm collaborating with. Mm. And when it's like that, and you're in there, and the others are included, um, whereabouts are you in the Large Hadron Collider? Well, I think... Oh, it's difficult to to say. Obviously, if you take it too far, you. But we are in the loop, it, mm, you know, right. in that in that large loop in the centre of it. Um, yeah, I think you've both gone into a space in which you're happy and uh, willing to sort of expose uh, yourself and take some risks and be part of something together. I think you know what kills collaboration would be if you weren't both in that loop together if there was some kind of barrier between you or you didn't have you weren't on an equal footing and sort of respecting each other's ideas and and wanting to make that connection you know as the as the as that metaphor implies so when you and the other people are both in the loop like that and uh, it's about the uh, collision of ideas what needs to happen for that kind of collision of ideas? Well, I think you need um, you need you, you don't need a prescription for what you know the objective is an absolute destination, but you need a shared vision of 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 the issue or the problem or the uh, the the kind of brief criteria that that you're working in. So you, you both are working along the same lines to, to, to something. It's not completely prescriptive, but it, there's a shared vision of where you're going together and you'd need to both sort of, um, and I'm just talking about two people here to keep it a bit more simple, but mm-hmm. you both need to have signed up to a similar set of values about how this conversation, this collaboration works. Mm-hmm. And where could a set of values like that come from? Where do people's values come from? They they, they come from how they've been brought up, how, mm-hmm. how they've worked successfully with others, whether collaboration has worked for them in the past. So I think some people um, are naturally collaborative, others are not. But there, are, I think there are sort of a set, set of universal values to making collaboration work of respecting each other's ideas of listening very closely to the other person of trying to build on their ideas and thoughts rather than tearing them down initially uh of of trying to be helpful and uh supportive of each other's thinking Mm -hmm. the reason i ask that is that some people might say well uh the values have to come from the individuals other people might be saying well it's about the um the environment the context someone from outside the individuals involved might be setting setting the rules or the values yes and that's i think that that's absolutely right and and so if we're talking about collaboration in the workplace this is particularly important 
because we're now talking about whether the organization, the team, that part of the culture actually supports collaboration or has uh, attitudes and uh, policies and philosophies in place which which get in the way of that, which sadly a lot of organizations have, whether they mean to or not. Mm -hmm. So when the um, organization supports collaboration, I suppose the next question is, that's like what? You know, what, what are the, what's the organization doing? Mm -hmm. I, either what's well, the organization or do you, you know, is there, is there a nice metaphor for that? I love the, the, the Large Hadron Collider, so I'm wondering uh, what's next? Well, I think, I, I, think, um, I mean, a, a, a metaphor that I use in the Spark, my book, to describe a creative culture, which I think in, you can, if you call it creative culture, by definition, I think if an, if an organization is creative, it's also collaborative. Is, um, have you ever been to um, Cornwall and gone, gone to those, what are those domes called in Cornwall that have all the hot house flowers inside? Um, Eden Project. The Eden Project. I think of a creative or collaborative culture within an organization being a little bit like the Eden Project. Because, you know, when you, when you walk, when you go to Cornwall, even in July, it can be quite nippy outside. But if you go in those domes, all sorts of different uh, plants and flowers can grow from anywhere in the world. Uh, and that's what an organization needs to do to protect and preserve creativity and collaboration. It needs to create a space in which there's permission to do it. There's permission to take risks. There's permission to share with each other's share with each other. And that's about all the different things that uh, that organizations do to create that that culture. Mm -hmm. And that's inter interesting on a number of levels. So the Eden Project, you say it's um, it's quite nippy outside, but you go in and it's it's warm. Is there anything else about how the organization creates that kind of warmth for creativity and collaboration? Well, I always think of it as two major themes that organizations do, which is they, they consciously try and remove some of the obvious barriers to this moment when two ideas collide, two people, two people's attitudes and they come from different ways collide and create something new. So they demolish the idea barriers that might stand in the way of it happening. So they, there's, and there's, there's a number of things in there. And then once you've got an environment in which, uh, some of the obvious barriers have been deconstructed, then they encourage that serendipitous moment when people can come together, whether it be formal meetings or just less formal things, uh, you know, sort of more day-to-day -day sharing of knowledge and ideas and thoughts. Mm -hmm. So, oh, that's interesting. So um, formal meetings can be creative. Well, I think the word formal has taken us down a slightly wrong route there, but I think meetings can mm -hmm. be creative. But the sad thing is they so often aren't. Um, but when I work, with businesses, I try and make sure that they think of meetings in many different ways, because if you want highly productive meetings, you can actually start putting things in place like agendas and ensuring people keep to the point and prepare for it 
and do all the good things that actually make productive, highly focused meetings, you know, work and have an outcome and then have some actions with names against them and dates and all that good stuff, sort of project planning type stuff. Mm -hmm. But also if you want create highly creative and collaborative meetings, it's a slightly different feel. Um, again, you can go in with a brief, but you the construction of the meeting in terms of the people that are there, uh, the way it's facilitated by the person who's got the sort of the, the the greatest hierarchical advantage, the biggest manager, the biggest leader in there is is different. So there's a there's there's sort of a creative or you know the as the phrase goes, a blue skies meeting is a bit diff more is a bit different. And there's a set of rules or a set of guidelines for how to encourage those meetings to come out with something creative from people's collaboration in them. Mm -hmm. Um, I was reading some stuff by, well, two, two authors completely independently came up with the same thing about the shape of meetings. Nick Udall and Caitlin Walker both talk about, or both draw, either fan-shaped meetings or star-shaped meetings. Um, the fan-shaped is more of a sort of one person broadcasting to the others, whereas the star-shape, everybody is talking to everybody else. Um, that that's the sort of the metaphor that they use for it but the 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 same idea i think that basically there are different structures depending on the kind of meeting you want to actually have yeah absolutely and i think there's a good good there's good sort of um metaphors to understand it because i think that the the problem with organizational meetings is they reflect a prevailing organizational culture which is uh you know we we still many businesses still uh, have a command and control, quite hierarchical uh, structure to the business in which big leaders tell middle-sized leaders and you tell everybody else what to do. For a highly creative or collaborative meeting, you want more of the star shape with the, the leader uh, just facilitating the discussion, so ensuring that everybody has a say. And importantly, I think the research really backs this up, that uh, different backgrounds and approaches and age ranges and ethnicities and all sorts of things are brought into that meeting because you get much more creative outputs when you get a lot more diversity of opinion in a meeting. That can be crushed immediately by somebody uh, dictating uh, their own ideas to everyone else. And of course, a creative organisation isn't going to remain very creative if the if the, the person running it or the board running it think they have to come up with all the good ideas. Mm -hmm. That book uh, by Cass Sunstein uh, about groupthink, I think it's called Wiser, he, he talks about how if, if the leader speaks first and gives a definitive opinion, it pretty much automatically stifles the rest of the discussion. Absolutely. And this is where, you know, the, the most commonly used uh, sort of creative tool in business is the brainstorm, isn't it? And most people have taken part in a brainstorm, whether it's been done skillfully or not. The interesting thing is that actually brainstorming is proven not to work that well, mm. even because um, it's been going sort of since for about 50 years since it was invented in the late 40s. Uh, because even with a brainstorm, even if you take out the hierarchy and uh, that, that idea of someone imposing their views on everyone else, 
what happens is uh, human beings tend to go towards the loudest voice. Mm. So you immediately lose lots of ideas. So when I, I still encourage my clients to brainstorm in order to collaborate and have creative meetings. But actually, the, the better way is to get everybody to actually have a think individually, bring their own ideas in, which have been written down and they, they've thought about, and then have a brainstorm. And I talked to a good friend of mine who's the deputy chairman of Saatchi and Saatchi helped me with the book, Richard Heitner. And he says, um, he uses those with the, with the Saatchi and Saatchi clients as well. And it's all down to the skill of the collaborator in order to create what I call in my book, electric conversations, which are playful. Uh, they are, you know, they're without fear. They're based on ideas, not hierarchies. And this this atmosphere, this um, you know, the, 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 this small uh, kind of little culture that can be created in the meeting by 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 the leader and then supported by everybody else. Mm -hmm. And then you end up with an organisation like the Eden Project. Yes, <laughs> I was always str struggling to remember the the e that's right. The, you've got a little Eden project, or if you do that a lot, and there's a, obviously a much uh, wider range of things you need to do in a, in, a, in the organisation. Uh, as a whole, you can have a bubble of creativity in, in your organization because I don't think it naturally comes in the, you know, pretty competitive, uh, everything's got to be in a hurry business world. You actually have to put, invest in time and effort and space and resources to create these moments in the business day. That's interesting. So uh, a bubble of creativity. Um, a lot of people listening to this might think, oh, I would love to work in a, spa in, in a bubble of creativity. I'd love to be collaborating and um, working creatively with my colleagues, but I'm not the boss. Somebody above me is always going to stamp on creativity. Is it possible to create a bubble of creativity from halfway up the organization? It's a really good question. And you know, a lot of the work I do is with people just below board level or, you know, in the upper reaches of middle management, as well as working with boards occasionally. And there's a real tension there if that is the case. It's interesting because a, a lot of leadership development interventions happen at that level because mm. they've, been, they've been funded by the board. Uh, and this is often something that's said, which is, you know, you bring in these great ideas about empowering people and about flattening hierarchy and about you know, this, you know, the importance of ideas. But as soon as I do that, then there's a big say-do gap between my activities and the board. So I think the answer is, yes, it's possible. It's more difficult. Uh, I've worked with a lot of um, operating companies and and also departments or units within businesses that have created their own microclimates, if you like, um, in which they may be a branding department or a marketing department and, and creativity is absolutely vital to them. Or they just may be a, a department that, that, that wanted to be more, more creative in its own right. So this is possible, but it puts a greater onus on the leader, I think, or the management team to protect those people from uh, a, a, a more hostile environment. But don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating, you know, uh, art here. This isn't. This isn't about, um, you know, art and pure creativity. This is about creativity and collaboration in the pursuit of business goals and the pursuit of profit and revenues. But 
the the interesting counterintuitive thing about creativity, even within a business context, is the rules of management are rather subverted at times. The rules of hierarchy, the rules of um, various strategies and policies that you have to change. Mm-hmm. So, if someone wants to, what if someone wanted to do that to just start to build out a little tiny microclimate from their desk halfway up the organisation? What kind of things would you suggest they did? Well, I think you know, start small. Start, start, start with small things, which is maybe uh, have a space. Uh, we were talking about serendipity earlier. Um, a great example of you know a physical space uh, in which people can meet is the, is the Pixar HQ, which was actually designed by Steve Jobs um, when he was part of that business in which everybody in the business is kind of forced to funnel into the, this big atrium in the middle of the building and there's, there's moments where everybody meets because they're, they're forced to, to mingle. Now, of course, everybody can't uh, afford to fund a massive building like that, but just uh, allowing people time and space to get together. I worked uh, with a business once where they just used to have afternoon tea on a Thursday afternoon in, a, in an open office space and, uh, and, I, and got all the uh, departments to meet because the you know the death of creativity is silos and people hoarding their information, hoarding their knowledge, hoarding their ideas. So bringing people together, uh, so there's chance for them to meet and share their knowledge. Trying to create uh, space in meetings, uh, like we've just discussed, where everybody signs up to a kind of rules of engagement that leads to a more open, exciting, passionate discussion about you know what if we did this. Some of the meat, uh, obviously, I can't go into great detail about all the different things, but, you know, we, we're talking about uh, there's um, uh, Pixar also have uh, a thing called the uh, yes and response to people's ideas. So if someone comes up with an idea, suddenly in the earlier part of a brainstorm saying, yes, and we could do that with that rather than the traditional uh, business response is no, but we've tried that. No, but that won't get funded. No, but the clients won't have that. So trying not to trample on ideas as they're happening, allowing them to develop in a kind of a divergent way before we get to the point where we actually have to sort of sift the ideas to see, you know, see see which ones are actually implementable. Mm, I think uh, I think it's in your book that uh, this distinction between uh, divergent and convergent um, moments in the creative process, that there's a, a, a place for gathering more and more and more ideas and a place for narrowing down yes and it's common to design thinking it's common to the nick yudel's creative roller coaster all of these processes all have that same pattern first diverge then converge absolutely and i think that the the idea of that if you think about sort of a, a triangle going out you know expanding and then a line and then another triangle coming to a point the difficulty of that is um that doesn't really match business thinking, which is rather more linear. You know, we start with a goal and then work back from that. How, how do we get there? It also puts quite a lot of stresses and strains on the manager because there's not one set of rules. They sort of have to change halfway through that process. Mm-hmm. So in the earliest part of the divergent process, it's holding on the, the person who's facilitating the meeting to try and encouraging this yes and approach. You know, there's and hear everybody's ideas and encourage everybody to take a few risks, that person or that group of people then have to change their mindsets 
uh, to work out what have we got here? What did we actually produce? And then actually you have to be rather ruthless. I think creative environments aren't all cuddly and uh, every idea gets supported. True creative leaders and true creative teams can say, actually, those just aren't good enough. They're really poor ideas. We're going to kill all those. and We're just going to concentrate on this one over there. So there's a flexibility of mindset within the leadership team and also within the whole organization. I call it the yin and yang of creative businesses that uh, they're never one thing or another. They're both fun and serious. They are divergent and convergent. They offer space for collaboration and creativity, but also understand deadlines and delivering for clients. And so this yin and yang, this balance is the constant thing that, uh, you know, uh, that the, the leaders have to have to cope with. Mm -hmm. and just as in the Eden project, people can't just keep on planting things that they have to prune and they have to weed and they have to decide which plants are going to stay. Yeah, and you know, another counterintuitive thing about creative businesses is just that they have discipline, they focus, um, and they have process as well. So there is a creative process, which that divergent and convergent thinking is, is at the heart of. Uh, and understanding as a management team where you are in the creative process and what, and when you should step forward and when you should really step back and allow people time to experiment and play and use all those subconscious, uh, allow those subconscious ideas to come through uh, is a real talent and a skill. But it, if you're a bit more aware of it, it, it is possible to get better at it. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm going to guess you come in. Um, so if people <laughs> want to find out more about you, about your book, about your stuff and the work you do, um, how do they find you? Well, if they put Greg Orm, G-R-E-G-O-R-M-E, -E, the spark into Google, I think that normally takes takes you to my page. If not, if you put in gregorm.org, uh, that'll bring you to my page. Uh, and you can see more about my work with organizations and leaders as a coach and as a consultant. And is there anything else that I should have asked you and didn't? <laughs> Well, there's, there's, there's lots to this, uh, but um, I, think, I think we cover the main things, which is, you know, for organisational creativity, uh, the two main themes are over time your business will have put uh, various rules and policies in place which would seem quite sensible at the time in order to make the place run better. Which of those are actually standing in the way of people wanting to come together and collaborate and share ideas? Which, which, are, which have created barriers? And, and then there are other things, and this is really towards the attitude of leaders and management teams. How can we encourage people to want to come to work and take a risk in this business, uh, to collaborate, to give some of themselves away? And that's about actually leading and facilitating culture. If we can keep those two themes in mind, it can quite, get quite complicated within them, but those are the two things I think uh, really can make a big difference to a business. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed for all of that. Lots to, to mull over and think about and apply. And um, yeah, thank you. Well, thanks, Judy. Nice to speak to you.